Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. These past five weeks have been an absolute delight and privilege. Uh, It is a tremendous blessing to be able to study God's word throughout the week and then to be able to stand in front of God's people and to deliver to you the truths that have become increasingly precious to me throughout my study. So I praise God for this opportunity and I am so, so grateful to you. Uh, Throughout these last five weeks, you have been faithful and thoughtful and kind in encouraging me, and um, thank you. Uh, More than anything, my desire has been to glorify the Lord, to exalt his word, and to serve you, his people. And God has been kind throughout the midst of these five weeks uh, for both Katie and I to feel continuously loved and encouraged, and we just want to communicate to you guys, we love you so, so very much and feel so very loved by you. So praise God for that. Uh, I'm done now with the Mutual Appreciation Club. So praise God, really. Uh, Hey, we began this series by saying that walking with Jesus is not an I think so kind of faith. It's not an I really, really, really hope so. I think I know God. I think I have a relationship with him. I hope I do. Cross my fingers, hope to not die kind of thing, right? Uh, We began this series by saying that's not what walking with Jesus is about. That's not what our relationship with the Lord is about. It's an I know so kind of faith. And all throughout 1 John, Uh, The author, John, is stressing the importance of knowing all kinds of truths, that it's crucial, that it's important, that it is vital, that it is fill in the blank with any synonym that matches that, that God's people know certain things, certain realities to be true. Uh, At the beginning of our series, we produced this handout. If you didn't grab one of these, there are some still up on the stage, and throughout the lobby, but this has uh, some 20 truths that John is very, very intent on God's people walking away from this letter, having known, understood, having embraced, having enjoyed, and having great confidence in these realities. We said that the reason that John wrote is so that God's children would know that they do, in fact, belong to him, that if you and I are God's children, that we would have confidence, a settled certainty in knowing that we do belong to God. We said that to know with certainty, to know with confidence that we are God's children is not arrogant and it's not presumptuous, but it's actually biblical and this entire book has been written so that we would have that kind of confidence We said that trying to live the Christian life without this confidence, trying to live the Christian life with joy and with passion without being confident that we belong to God 
is like trying to drive with the emergency brake on. We're always feeling restrained. We're always feeling held back. We're never able to fully and freely and passionately press on towards the Lord because we're always wondering if we really do belong to the Lord. My hope and prayer throughout this series is that God has filled your heart with assurance, brother or sister in Christ. That God has filled your heart with certainty and confidence and hope that the Lord has flooded your life, that he has anchored your hope in eternal life in the person and finished work in Jesus Christ and that you have been encouraged as you've been examining the external evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is producing in your life. The last two weeks, uh, we've turned our ear to hear from God's word in 1 John how we might check our spiritual pulse, uh, how we might look at our lives, examine the fruit from our lives, and determine and know and be encouraged at God at work within our very souls, that we are checking our spiritual pulse by looking at the biblical texts. And with these tests, we've said and we've had it at the top of our notes that the claim to eternal life is founded on the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith, period. And when you start talking about these tests and you start talking about external evidence, our hearts, having begun by the Spirit, quickly want to be perfected by the law, don't they? Our hearts very quickly want to be like, well, wait a minute, I have to do, 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 do. Well, no, the gospel is God has done it all in Jesus Christ, and so our claim to eternal life is founded on Jesus and what Jesus has already done. After establishing that John is writing this letter so that God's children may know that they have eternal life, uh, we turned our attention to asking the question, is relationship with God even possible? First uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 2, we established four glorious truths about Jesus Christ. We said that Jesus is fully God, that Jesus became fully man, that Jesus lived a sinless life, and that Jesus died for sinners. Because he was fully God, his sacrifice was infinite. Because he became fully man, his sacrifice became applicable for mankind. Because Jesus was sinless, his sacrifice was acceptable. And because Jesus died in the place of sinners, the full wrath of God towards our sin has been satisfied. These four glorious truths led to three glorious implications. Because of these realities, I can confess my sins. Not just confess them, but I can be forgiven by the only one who has the power to forgive me of my sins. And because I can be forgiven, I can have right relationship with God. I can have restored fellowship with God Almighty. I, his creation, can be brought back into relationship with my creator. And so the first question we ask ourselves in discerning whether or not we have eternal life is simply this, do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in Jesus? This is the foundational question, and if the answer to this question is yes, then the answer to all of our other questions is yes. 
at the very base of everything, at the very foundation, if you and I genuinely believe in Jesus, if we have turned from our sins and trusted in him and him only for our salvation, then we can be confident that the answer to our other questions in this series is a yes. It's not just agreeing with information about Jesus to believe in him, but it's a full embracing of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is putting your only hope in life and in death in knowing that you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If the answer to this first question, do you believe in Jesus, is yes, then you can know that you have eternal life. But how do you know that you have believed? How can you be sure that you've repented and believed, that you've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus? That's what John gives us here in the rest of the text, these tests to determine whether or not I've genuinely embraced the person and work of Jesus Christ. So these tests are not something that we achieve in order to earn our eternal life, but rather they offer external evidence that substantiates the reality that we have embraced the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the first test that we looked at was, do I practice righteousness? Do you and I practice righteousness? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. 1 John 3, 7 and 10, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Is your life increasingly looking more and more like Jesus? Do you wage war against your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit? And do you strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? And as you practice righteousness, do you recognize, as we said before, what Rachel Myers said, that as long as we are on earth, there will always be darkness to drive out. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, will be present. If we are not actively struggling with darkness, it isn't because there is no darkness in our lives. It is because that darkness has become comfortable. This is the first test. Do I, do you, practice righteousness? Second test we looked at last week. Do I love Christians? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Yes, God calls us to love everyone. But here in the text, John is calling us to test whether or not we actually have eternal life. We look at our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 3, 14 and 18. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Again, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We asked last week, is your life characterized by self-preservation or by self-sacrifice? Are you constantly vying for what you want, when you want it, how you want it, at the exact time you want it, for the exact reasons that you want it? Or are you laying down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you dying to yourself daily in order to love and serve others? Are you doing what's best for others even at self-expense. 
Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ stands at the very heart of the gospel. This is the message we have heard from the beginning. In both of these areas, uh, practicing righteousness and loving Christians, hear me on this, please. We are not talking about perfection. When you come to Christ, you don't become instantly perfect, and you do not become instantly perfect in practicing righteousness, keeping the commandments of God, or at loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. What we are talking about is Holy Spirit-produced progress in becoming more like Jesus not even necessarily the rate by which we are becoming like Jesus, but the direction, the trajectory, that when I look at my life over time, I am in fact becoming more and more like him. If over the last two weeks as we've looked at these two different tests, the Lord has used his word to highlight areas of darkness in your soul, praise God. I mean really, praise God. The doctor who gives you the diagnosis is not the enemy. And while the news might be crushing, now at least you know it's there. And so by God's grace, you can do something about it. The Holy Spirit of God is being gracious and kind to us in revealing the darkness that remains. It means that God is using his word by the power of his spirit to bring about conviction in your life and to reveal the remaining darkness in your heart. So if this revelation leads to repentance in your life, then it only demonstrates once again that you do in fact belong to God. That his loving kindness is drawing us to repentance continually and that we are hoping and placing our confidence and trust in knowing that we can be forgiven of this. And every bit of that darkness that is revealed to still be remaining in our hearts only serves to magnify the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It only serves to show how precious these truths are, that our only hope in life and death is Jesus, the sinless Son of God, that he died in our place, and that we can confess our sins, and that we can have relationship with him. So praise God for the forgiveness that we have in Christ and the hope of forgiveness that we will always have in Christ. It's when this revelation leads to indifference, that's when we should grow concerned about our relationship with the Lord. Now, as we've been looking at these tests, uh, please also remember that we've talked about the critical importance of discerning these realities in the context of biblical community. That this diagnosing of our spiritual condition is not an endeavor in which we undertake on our own, but it's one in which we invite our brothers and sisters in Christ into in order to speak truth into our lives. Uh, Mike McKinley, we saw this quote earlier too, we are not good judges of our own hearts. Some people are entirely too easy on themselves. They imagine that they give evidence of genuine regret and repentance for their sin, when in reality there is none. Others with a tender conscience are far too hard on themselves. They take every weakness and failure as evidence that they are hypocrites and false Christians. Being involved in the local church is immensely helpful for both kinds of people. We need each other. And we need to be honest with one another. Discerning our relationships with Jesus, that's a community project. It's not just you off in the corner by yourself with the Bible in some ill-lit corner of your house. Uh, It is you engaging continuously with God's people so that we can be speaking truth and life 
into one another. It's in the context of community, having our brothers and sisters encourage us with evidences of grace and rebuking us when we seem to wander. So let me ask, uh, have you done this? I mean, we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, and have you gone and asked your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe you already have a culture of that in your small group or amongst the people that you spend time with regularly, but have you intentionally gone and sought for input from your brothers and sisters in Christ, asking them if they see you increasing in practicing righteousness, asking them if they see you increasing in self-sacrifice and in love. If you haven't done so, I invite you to do that soon, this week even. This morning, we arrive at our third and final test. Uh, This test that we have here this morning is a bit different than the other two that we've examined so far. This test brings about clarity to the other two tests, and it also brings about completion to the other two tests that we've seen. Uh, The question that we're asking ourselves this morning is, do I abide? Do I, do you abide? Uh, Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 18 through 28 this morning. Asking ourselves this question, do I, do you abide? If you're in a small group, then you've been working through a study called Abide. Uh, It's a look at John chapter 15 where Jesus calls his disciples to abide in him. And the John who wrote John chapter 15 is the same John who's writing 1 John to us as we look at it this morning. So evidently when Jesus used this metaphor, abide in me, It was one that had a big impact in John's life, so much so that much of his writing throughout the New Testament is characterized and dominated by this abiding in Christ theme. Uh, In fact, he uses the word abide 23 times in 1 John. That's roughly once every four verses. 25% of the verses contained in 1 John use this word or speak to this concept of abiding in Christ, <clears throat> although he uses it in more concentrated sections. Uh, so look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, please. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Here again, John begins this passage by addressing us as children. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of affection. 
It's something that John wants his reader to know that they are dearly loved and he's writing this to them because of his deep and abiding love for them. It's also kind of like a textual marker, a literary device that John uses to introduce a new subject. He's getting ready to tell us something that he hasn't told us yet in the book. What he does at the beginning here in verse 18 is he says, it's the last hour and you've heard that Antichrist is coming. And in fact, many Antichrists have come. He begins by saying, uh, Christian, look at the time. Not your watches, uh, not the clock, but look around at what's going on and discern what's happening in God's program of redemption. He says, hey, listen, time is almost up. Things are coming to an end here. This world in its present existence is going to be wrapped up very soon. It is the last hour. Remember, John wrote this 2,000 years ago, so this for us is like a really long hour. Uh, he's saying that we're in the time between Jesus' first coming and before Jesus comes back again, and he is coming back again. He says we're in the final era of redemptive history that must occur before the end. And as he does this, he brings a new sense of urgency to the conversation he's been having with us. He then offers proof that it is in fact the last hour. He says, how do you know? We know it's the last hour because Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we can be confident that it is the last hour uh, if you're interested in a more in-depth look at the Antichrist, uh, you're welcome to go to our resources page on our website, and there's a paper there that I produced on the Antichrist. We're not going to get into it here this morning. Some of you are like, I'm leaving, I'm out, see ya. Uh, but if you want to go check that out, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, this morning, I want to stick on what we're talking about in abiding in Christ here. Uh, so, he offers this proof that Antichrist is coming, and then verse 19, this is the critical verse for our conversation this morning. For our third and final test, verse 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John is saying the antichrists went out from us. That is, the individuals that he's referring to here are those who belonged to the fellowship of the believers when they were gathered. They were a part of the church as they were gathered. They were people that claimed to be brothers and sisters in Christ, but they left. He goes on to say, hey, listen, we, we gotta get this squared away, okay? You have to understand they were never of us. While they were in our midst, and while we had regular interaction with them, and while it seemed for a time that they were of us, they never were. They were never truly a part of our fellowship. They were never actually brothers and sisters in Christ. They seemed to be for a time. And then this next part, how do we know that they were not of us? Because if they were truly of us, if they were truly our brothers and sisters, then they would have continued with us. 
Now remember, uh, the first century church life is not like church life today. People didn't just transfer from church to church all the time that were in the same city. Uh, typically, in a city, there was one church, and if a city was large enough, people couldn't just you know, jump in their cars and drive to the other side of town. It would take them all day to travel there. So John is not saying that they went and joined another fellowship. They went and became a part of another church. What he's saying is they left the church. They left the faith altogether. They turned away from Jesus. They demonstrated that their belief and their hope was not in Christ alone. John is saying that if they truly were in Christ, if they truly were brothers and sisters in Christ, if they truly turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus, then they certainly would have continued with us. This word continued here in verse 19. It's the same Greek word that's translated as abide. So another translation of verse 19 is to say, if they had been of us, they would have abided with us. This is what it means to abide. It means to continue. It means to stay. It means to remain. Uh, we have a dog named Lily, and Lily is the most horribly disobedient creature that has ever walked the face of the earth. Don't awe, okay? Uh, she's bad, okay? Uh, but when we first got her, we were trying really, really hard to, you know, do the whole obedience thing and, like, demonstrate that we're the master and she does what we say. And, you know, so it was like, okay, Lily, sit. Now abide. Abide. And, of course, you know, she doesn't. Uh, but this is the picture of what it means to abide in Christ. It's not some kind of mystical concept that's out there in the cloud somewhere. Uh, it simply means to be faithful, to faithfully make yourself present to the Lord and to faithfully be conscious of his presence in your life, to abide, to sit, to stay, to remain connected to the Lord. This verse continues, it says, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. What John is saying is because of their failure to abide, because they failed to continue with us, because they did not remain, what they're doing is demonstrating that they were never really a part of us. They were never really in Christ. In verses 20 through 23, after saying that, John wants to assure them. He says, but listen, you're not like them. You've been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John is writing to reassure the church that they do in fact have a relationship with God and that they have every hope of spending eternity with the Lord, forever being satisfied in the presence of God. He encourages them by saying, look, you have been anointed, that is, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and while you see all of these other people departing and it looks like they're going off and they're talking about this secret wisdom or this new way or this other kind of way to come to God, I need you to be sure, I need you to be confident they're not going after what the Lord has actually given us. They're going after something else. They're going after another gospel. He encourages them, but not you. He says, you have all the knowledge that you need in order to have a saving relationship with God. He affirms them that they know the truth 
And he reminds them of the simplicity of their faith. In verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father, but whoever confesses the son has the father also, period. So don't be deceived. Don't go after these other things. Stay, remain, continue in the Lord. Verses 24 and 25, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the son and in the father. And this is the promise. This is the promise that he made to John's readers. This is the promise that he made to us as we sit here in this room in 2018. Eternal life. Brothers and sisters, this is the third test. Do I, do you abide? The first question, the foundational question, do you believe in Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, then praise God, you have eternal life. This is the promise that God has made to you. But John follows that question up And he says, and do you continue to believe in the name of Jesus and only Jesus to rescue you from your sin and to restore you in relationship with God? Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. John says, look, don't be deceived. Believe in Jesus and continue believing in Jesus. You don't need anyone to teach you any other way of salvation. The truth is not somewhere else out there and some guy on the top of a mountain has figured it out and now you just need to read his book that you pay $19.99 for and now all of a sudden you have a relationship with God. John's saying it's not that. You already know the truth. He's not saying that we have nothing more to learn about Jesus. He's not saying that we have nothing more to learn about what it looks like to follow Jesus but he is saying that there is no other way to God other than through Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything, it's Jesus, period. And he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't go after another gospel. It's the same thing that Paul says in Galatians chapter one. He says, even if I or an angel from God should come to you and preach any other gospel than the gospel that you've heard, let them be accursed. What Paul is saying is if anyone preaches a gospel and says that your soul can be saved by any other way, let them be damned to hell. Let them be accursed because there is no other way and he is intent and serious and sure in God's people understanding that their confidence lies in what Jesus Christ has done and not in Jesus plus anything else. So don't be deceived, John says. There's no other way. You don't need further enlightenment. You don't need to hear anything new. We're not waiting on additional revelation from the Lord. He says, look, believe in Jesus and continue believing in Jesus. This is the same reality for the other two tests that he's given us here in 1 John. It's what we've already seen thus far in our study, that these tests that are giving us external evidence of the fact that we have believed, we're asking ourselves, well, do I practice righteousness? Because some will come and say that you don't need to strive by the power of God at work in your life to walk like Jesus walked. If you just, you know, agree with this information, you can keep living your life however you want and just tack Jesus onto your life. You don't have to wage war against your sin. You're fine. Listen, don't be deceived, John says. Do you practice righteousness and do you continue practicing 
righteousness. Don't be deceived. Practice righteousness and continue practicing righteousness. Don't be deceived by your own sinfulness that wants to justify the things that you want. Don't be deceived by the world that says, oh, it's not really a big deal. Don't be deceived by the enemy who tries to deceive us and say that there's another way. Don't be deceived. Continue practicing righteousness. You see, those who had gone out from the gathering in 1 John, they threw righteousness out the window. They began to make a practice of sinning. So when John writes in 1 John 3, 6, he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Then he gives us the second test, the question of do I love Christians? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I increasingly growing in a self-sacrificing lifestyle where I'm killing self-preservation? Am I increasing in doing what's best for others even at self-expense? And then John follows that up by saying, and don't be deceived. Continue loving Christians. Those who failed to abide, those who did not continue with God's people, those that went out from the gathering of the brothers and sisters in Christ, they turned away from loving their brothers and sisters. And so 1 John 4, 16, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Whoever continues in love. So don't be deceived. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ and keep loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Christian life, the Christian life following Jesus is a life of dependence from first to last. Depend on him for your salvation. Depend on him for your sanctification to produce obedience and love in your life. Apart from him, you can do nothing, John 15. Apart from him, we bring nothing to the table. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who recognize that they have nothing of spiritual benefit and good to bring to the table, and so they depend only on the Lord. Those who acknowledge that their only hope is to depend on God to save them, to depend on God to sanctify them, and to depend on God to keep them. Believer in Christ, brother or sister, God Almighty wants you to know that you have eternal life. And this life is not dependent upon what you do. It's dependent upon what Jesus did. So John encourages us. He says, continue believing in Jesus. Don't go anywhere else. Continue in belief. Continue in obedience. And continue in love. And if you are indeed in Christ then you will continue in belief and you will continue in obedience and you will continue in love. This is John 10, 28 through 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. God wants you to have a settled certainty that you belong to him. That when his eyes scan over all the hearts of everyone on the face of the earth, when he arrives at yours and looks into your soul, he would say and exclaim, mine. That's my son, that's my daughter, and I love them, and I know they love me. Not to hope so, not to think so. God wants you to know so, because he loves you. 
God wants you to know so because he loves you. And because he is sure in his infinite wisdom that when you know you are loved by him, it's the only thing that enables you to love him in return. So as you sit here in this room, do you believe in Jesus? Continue believing in him. Do you practice righteousness? Continue by God's grace and the power of the spirit to practice righteousness. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Continue to do so. You can't do it on your own. And if you think about doing all of these things, being faithful in belief, being faithful in obedience, being faithful in love, if you start thinking about that like 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, it's only overwhelming, isn't it? Like to be faithful in these realities for my whole life, that's why Jesus said we only have today. Today has enough trouble of its own. Let tomorrow worry about itself. You worry about today and seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord's help. Be dependent upon the Lord just for today. His grace is sufficient and his spirit is living in you and is able to produce this faithfulness. He who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. So what happens when you know? What happens when you have this confidence? What happens when you have this assurance that you have a settled certainty that you belong to God? Look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Uh, I told you, we have a horribly disobedient dog. Uh, Lily has shown me better than anyone or anything else what it looks like to shrink in shame at her master's coming. Uh, when we leave the house for a while, we know how the whole time went based upon what it looks like as soon as we walk in the door. Uh, if Lily comes and she's jumping, tail wagging, so excited to see us, it was a good afternoon for Lily at home. But man, when she comes and we walk in the door and it's like, hmm, where's Lily? Uh, hey, come here, Lil. A couple times and then she comes in literally like shrinking in shame and terrified of the judgment on which she has brought upon her own head. She knows it will be swift and fierce. She's terrified of the judgment and she dreads our return I mean, I don't know what it's like inside her little doggy head all day long after she, you know, ate all the avocados from the pantry or something, but I don't know if she's like freaking out the whole time and just like, I can't know, I hope they don't ever come back. I'd just rather die than have them come back. Uh, but she really does. She seeks to hide from us at our coming. Think about it, brothers and sisters. Jesus is coming back. We consider our lives on our own only shame, only terror, only fear. But praise God for what He's done in Christ. We can have confidence at His appearing. I can know with certainty that when He comes, because of what He's done, because He has rescued me from my sin, I can have nothing but hope. 
I can have nothing but longing. I can long for the coming of my king, and when he does, I can know that I don't have to have shame because Jesus has dealt with that. I will have no fear of punishment because Jesus has dealt with that. I will have no fear of judgment because Jesus has satisfied the Father's wrath. I will have nothing but confidence when he returns. When he appears, I may have confidence. And if you have believed in Christ, and if the Spirit of God is producing an obedience and a love in your heart because of your belief in Christ, then you also might have confidence. Not in what I've done, but in what Jesus has done for me and what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in me. So praise be to God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Father God, we thank you for the hope and the confidence that you have given us in knowing that we belong to you. Oh God, we thank you for the truths that we have seen in your word and that we have rehearsed over and over again throughout our weeks, these past five weeks, that give us nothing but confidence and hope and certainty that we are yours and you are ours forever. God, we thank you that you have made eternal life available. Not just life with unending duration, but eternity spent in your presence and being satisfied forever. Eternity spent with you. Oh God, we know that it is not something that we could ever attain on our own, that no amount of trying to practice righteousness on our own or no amount of trying to muster up love in our own hearts would be enough to rescue us from our sin. And so our only hope in life and death is banking on you, Lord Jesus, and trusting in what you have done. And so I pray, oh God, for your people in this room. Father, if some of them have been living life with the emergency break on, unsure, biting their nails continuously, God, I pray that by the power of your spirit and working through your word, you will produce in your children a great assurance and a grand confidence. And oh God, I pray for my other friends in this room. If they have not believed, Father, if they do not see their life looking more and more like you and they do not see themselves growing in love, oh God, I pray that you would draw them to repentance by your loving kindness and that this morning even, oh God, they would find someone, they would seek someone out and be able to have that conversation so that they might know that they have eternal life. Oh God, we trust you and you only. Praise be to you in Christ's name. Amen.